Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you haven't met me yet, my name is Iggy. I'm uh, the pastor here at Cooper's Plains Evangelical. And it's great to see you join us, and especially if you're new today and with us today. A special welcome to you. And as Peter mentioned before, we have our newish morning tea afterwards. We'd love to see you there. I'd love to be able to meet you and get to know you personally. So please come along to that. Now, friends, um, before we get into today's sermon, I'm just going to answer a question from last week's sermon. So uh, this is something that I hope to do. If, um, if you have questions uh, from the message, uh, I'd love for you to just write those down and put them in, and I'll seek to answer those, especially if I think they'll be helpful for the congregation. So uh, last week, we looked at the topic of loving like Jesus, and I drew out some principles of what it means to love like Jesus, that humble love, self, uh, self-sacrificial and servant-hearted love, and the take-home message was that it's not about me. It's not about me. And I got a question which talked about, is it? But is it okay if you're feeling tired, if you're feeling burnt out, to just bask in the love of others, to take the love of others? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I want to, um, yes, say that, yes, it's fine. Uh, because we're only human. We're not God. We're finite beings. Um, and we need uh, the love of others to help us and sustain. That's what it means, uh, to have love around us, to be able to love others. We need to be able to uh, receive love as well. Uh, so if you're feeling tired, if you're feeling burnt out, don't, don't hear me in saying, and this is not what Jesus wants, that you just got to push yourself till you've got nothing left. Because uh, God knows we're human. He wants us to be sustainable in ministry. He wants us to keep going, serving for the long run, not just to burn out. So it's more than okay to receive the love of your brothers and sisters around you. That's what it means to be family. Okay, so I just wanted to talk about that uh, quickly. Now we're starting a new series today. Um, and our new series uh, is called One. One. So, talking about the fact that uh, we're uh, one family, you know, one Lord, one faith, one family in Jesus Christ. Uh, this is a series that we'll be delving into, into the book of Ephesians, one of my favorite books. So I'm really excited to get into this book. And this is really important for us as we think about our vision this year of loving like Jesus. Because as we think about loving like Jesus, we need to understand what it means to be a family what it means to be one church together and how Jesus at the center of this church, the center of this family, actually changes how we understand everything. So I'm really excited to get into this series. Um, This is a great series to be inviting your friends along to as well uh, to help them to hear about how good Jesus Christ is. So I'd be encouraging you to be thinking about friends that you can invite along to also hear God's Word. And today we're going to start with Ephesians 1, 1 to 14, as we heard Auntie Hungi read to us before. And we're going to think about this, uh, this concept of blessings, this concept of blessings, which is very, you know, obviously attached to what it means to be a Christian. You think Christian, you think blessings. Uh, but what does it mean to be blessed? Now, this is the idea I stole from Anton the other week. But I had to look at the hashtag, you know, hashtag blessed. Uh, you know, so I had a quick Google search of that. And here's some of the things I came up with, just three things. And they've all varied, all right? Yeah, so number one, if this, oh wait, wait, sorry, it's not on, my mistake. Number one, it says, happy birthday to me, hashtag blessed. I'm still trying to process what this actual post is about, but this is one hashtag blessed, blessed, happy birthday to me. Okay, number two, yeah, um, this, this post says progress, hashtag blessed, and it's actually of a video of a guy on the left who a few months ago he couldn't dunk, and on the right now he can dunk. So hashtag blessed, okay? And this, here's the third one, and this is sweet, daddy-daughter dance, you know, hashtag blessed. A dad and his daughter enjoying time together. That's wonderful, isn't it? 
Um, you can see this variation of people's opinions of blessings. They, they really vary, don't they? You know? Um, I think, broadly speaking, we can agree that what a blessing is is something good, right? Something good that happens to me. And whether you're Christian or you're non-Christian, um, bless, you, you'd say that something good happening to you, having a blessing, is, it's a good thing. That's what we want, don't we? Who doesn't want to be blessed? We're all seeking good things to happen to us in our lives. But friends, as we saw in those posts, there's so many variations of good things that happen in your life. And we're going to see, uh, no matter what the blessing is that we receive here on this earth, that the blessings that the Bible are going to point out to us um, make everything else pale into insignificance. Right? The blessings that God has in store for us, the spiritual blessings, they're far greater than anything else we can comprehend. And we're also going to see not only what these are, but why. As we, got, we were talking about before, why does God bless us? Why does He do that? Why does He give us good things at all? So there are some of the questions that we will be delving into as we get into today's passage. And we'll be looking at uh, these points. Right? Number one, chosen to be blessed. Number two, blessed to be part of something bigger. And number three, blessed to praise. And we'll be spending a lot of time in that first section, so uh, just understanding blessings and a little bit less time in the latter two sections. All right. But before we start this book, it's really important to really understand what's going on in this book, especially as we start a new series. Um, so if you open up your Bibles, and what I want you to do is keep your Bibles open to follow along with me. Okay? So the verses I want you to be looking at in your Bibles, on your phones. If you've got your phones, pull them out. Turn them to airplane mode so you don't get distracted. But keep your Bibles open because we're going to have a look at this passage together. Okay? Because it's God's Word. So Ephesians 1. If you look at Ephesians 1... Uh, verses 1 to 2, they actually give us a bit of the context of what's actually happening around here. So let me read that for you. Ephesians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what this is, this book that we're looking at today, is actually a letter all right, it's a letter from the Apostle Paul, who's a teacher, a missionary, a messenger, a follower of Jesus Christ. And he's writing his letter to a church, a group of Christians um, in the city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus, um, I've got a little map here. So here's a map of Ephesus. So Ephesus was a port city, um, and it was a center of trade, so a very rich city. It contained uh, the, t- the Temple of Artemis, which is one of the seven ancient wonders of the ancient world. You can still go and see the ruins there. And they live, um, and where Ephesus actually is, is in modern-day Turkey. So that's the region that it's in. So back then, it was this thriving port city, um, but a city dedicated to other gods, Greek gods. Uh, But Paul came with the gospel message. And as he told this message, people became followers of Jesus Christ. And a little church started there, right? And started to grow and grow and grow. And this letter of the Ephesians is actually written to this church in um, the, the city of Ephesus and the surrounding regions as Paul is in, is in jail many, you know, uh, quite a while later. Yeah, he's in, in a Roman jail, but he's writing them a letter. And the purpose of his letter as he writes them is this. He's saying to them, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. His point that he wants to make to them is that you are united people in Christ. Live like that. 
right? That's what he's trying to get across. You are united people in Christ. Live like that. And the structure of the book really reflects this. So here's what the structure of the book looks like, all right? It might be a bit overwhelming, but let me just... So it's roughly split into two halves. Chapters 1 to 3 is the theology bit, which is where Paul talks about um, the truths of the gospel. Essentially, this is who you are. You are a new people. You're a new society. You have new life. And then chapters 4 to 6, the second half of the book, is what are you supposed to do in light of that? It's the practice, the practical stuff, the application stuff. So he talks about how to live in this new society, how to live as a new family, how to live in your homes, how to live in church. Um, that's what the book structure looks like. All right? So it's first half, theology. Second half, practice. Who you are, how you're to live in light of that. That's what the big picture of Ephesians is. And during the following weeks, we'll be working through that. And another thing to note is, and every time we come to the Bible, is we need to think of this question. You know, Paul is writing to the Ephesian church. He's not actually writing to us. So how can we apply this? All right. Well, the thing to note here is that, yes, he's writing specifically to a specific group of people, a specific church, uh, but the truths that he says here are Christian pr- principles that uh, transcend time. Yeah, they apply to us as a church too because where this lands in salvation history is that there's no more waiting. Jesus Christ has come. Jesus Christ has died. Jesus Christ has resurrected. This is the church. Uh, so there's nothing big to happen in between then and now to change the way we think about these things. These principles that he brings out for how we're to live as the church, as Christ's people, are just as relevant for us now as they were for these people many hundred years ago. All right? So we need to pay attention Right, we need to pay attention to what's going on here. All right. So let's get into it. And we're at point one, chosen to be blessed. Have a look at verse three with me. Have a look at verse three with me. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. All right. Now, what we need to see here is that, um, that right from the start, Paul is setting the tone. Look what he says in verse three. He says, praise Praise be to God. Right from the start, he's saying something that this, what he's writing, is a declaration of praise. A declaration of how good God is. Right? This this is what he's on about. In fact, this entire section, verses 1 to 14, um, in the original Greek, is just one, one huge sentence of 200 words where it's like Paul's just spewing forth praise to God. He can't control himself. He's so excited. And this is where he starts, this is where he ends, this is what the section is about. Praise to God. Praise to God because he has given us every blessing we could ever hope for. And what are these blessings? Well, there's, there's two, fact, um, two aspects of this blessing that comes out from verse 3. Uh, number one is the fact that um, they're spiritual blessings. He says, praise God for every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. So what Paul is talking about here, he's not talking about um, a new job a new car, uh, a, a new baby, or uh, money, or possessions, uh, these things that God gives us, and they're good, and they are blessings. But what Paul is talking about is every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. And Paul is saying that um, it's going to be, it, it's far greater than anything you can hold, anything you can touch, any tangible blessing that you can comprehend in this world. Every spiritual blessing beats that. That's the first thing he wants to point out. And number two, these blessings. How do these blessings come? Well, these blessings come in Christ. In Christ. Did you notice that in verse 3? Every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
And this term, in Christ, is a core theme of the book of Ephesians. This theme of being united with Christ, being joined with Christ, being together with Christ is absolutely vital. In fact, in 14 verses, he repeats that term 11 times. In Christ, in Him, in whom, in Jesus, over and over again, in Christ. That's a core theme. What he's trying to say here is this. Without Christ, without Jesus, we have nothing. We have nothing. But in Him, well, let's have a look. Have a look at verse 4 with me. In Jesus. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Do you see the language? In Him. He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. And this is the first aspect of what it means to be blessed. That you're chosen. That you're chosen. Now have a think about what's being said here in verse 4. If you're sitting here today and you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, before time even began, before you even existed, before anything existed, before this world was here, God had you in His mind. He was thinking of you. It is no accident that if you're sitting here today and you're a Christian, that is no accident. It's not a coincidence that you've chosen to follow Jesus Christ. Right? It's, it's, this, this is not a circumstantial thing. If you think, and if you think back to the way that you came to faith, um, you'll see that it's no accident. The people that God's put in your life, the circumstances He put you in, all the things that have happened to bring you to a point where you call Jesus Christ Lord, that is not an accident. This is all part of God's plan. Because you were chosen before time even began. Now I know this topic of being chosen or predestination is a, a very complex topic. Um, and it can be a stumbling block for some. In fact, when I was younger, this was something I had to wrestle really hard about. You know? and, uh, but the thing is, we need to look at the original intention of Paul's writing here. Right? To actually understand the Bible, we need to look at why Paul was writing these specific verses. And let me tell you, it wasn't to write to Christians to make them doubt. It wasn't to write to people to say, get people thinking, oh, am I one of the chosen? Maybe I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not, how, how do I know? That's, that's not why Paul was writing. What God is saying through the Apostle Paul to us is that in Jesus Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. You were chosen before time again. And this fact should give you immense assurance, incredible comfort, joy like no other, hope that is sure. The fact you were chosen, this will make you rejoice and praise God. That's why Paul's writing this. And I think this is the way that we have to read these passages here. And what are we chosen for? That's the next thing we need to think about. Well, in verse 4, if we revisit that, um, verse 4 says this, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. You were chosen to be holy and blameless in His sight. If you're a believer of Jesus Christ, this is what is the reality. Um, in the ESV, it says you were, uh, you were chosen uh, to be holy and blameless before Him. Right? And I think what this is talking about is just the future reality on that final day that followers of Jesus, Christians, will be standing before God. will be standing before the holy and perfect and righteous God. 
standing before Him. And we too will be holy and perfect. And what makes this such a blessing that on that final day, this future reality, as we're before God, what makes this such a blessing is that we completely don't deserve to be there. Because think about this. Who are we that we should stand before a holy and perfect God? Who are we that people who are so imperfect and so fallible, people who fail so often, you and I both know that. Who are we to stand before God who is entirely perfect and righteous? Who are we that we deserve that privilege of being before Him and deserve that privilege of being seen as holy and righteous? Who are we? Well, we're people in Christ. In Jesus Christ, He wins us the privilege of being in God's presence, right? In a way that we could never, ever hope to do on our own, to actually be before God on that final day, the perfect and holy God, and to be seen also as holy and perfect with no more sin, no more struggles, no more failings. My friends, as we think about how good that will be, uh, let me tell you, it won't be some sort of impersonal thing where God will be sitting on this gigantic white throne and there'll be like a line of people who get to sort of be at a distance with Him um, and just, you know, worship Him from afar. No, no, no. Because we're not only chosen to be holy, we're chosen also to be His children. Have a look at verse 5 with me. Verse 5 says this, well, starting from verse, end of verse 4. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. God has chosen us, chosen us to be holy, but also chosen us to be His children, to be part of His family. If you want to talk about blessings, then you can't really beat this. The fact that we get to call the God of the universe our Father. We get to approach Him as children to a loving and generous Dad who loves us and gives us everything that we need. And the thing about this concept of adoption, when you think about that, um, is that it's not natural. Right? This is not a natural relationship. When, um, when you were born, you didn't choose what family you went into, right? You just became part of that family. You were born into that family. You were part of that family. You received all the rights and the privileges of being part of that family. Um, you know, for good or for bad, you're part of that family. That's a natural relationship. Um, but you can't do that with any family, can you? You can't just rock up to any family and demand that you enter that family and receive the privileges of that family, for example, if I wanted to be part of the royal family, for example, I could not just go up and ask them to just be part of the family. As much as I love to hang out with um, uh, Will and Kate and Harry and Megan, you know, and, and chill out with the Queen and ask her about life and get to live in Buckingham. Do they live in Buckingham Palace? I don't know. But I would, you know, live in Buckingham Palace, receive the inheritance of, you know, uh, do I get to wear the crown jewels? I would do that, you know be part of that family and get all those privileges. You can't do that. Why would they let me in? Why would they accept me into that? Why would they give me the privileges that come with being part of that family? They have no right to do that. I mean, they, they, they have no reason to do that. I have no right to be part of that family. And that's the same with God, isn't it? When you think about it. 
What right do we have to be part of his family? Why should we get to be in the family of the one who created the entire universe, who is holy and mighty and righteous and so far above us? Why on earth do we get to be part of that family? When you think about this process of, of adoption, it's not the little babies who go out there and seek people to adopt them as, you know, into their families. But it's the parents who take initiative, who take the step to actually seek out a child for their family. And this is what God does for us. He seeks us out, invites us into his family. For what reason? Well, friends, it's because of grace. It's because of grace. We didn't deserve it, yet this is what he does for us. When I was down in Sydney, um, I was down in Sydney for seven years, uh, there was one time when I was with my daughter, Tash, and we were at a local playground in a suburb called Waterloo, some of you might know it, and we were just at this playground, um, enjoying ourselves, going up and down the slides, she was probably around three at this time, um, and this group of people came in, so there we were, we were just enjoying ourselves on this playground, this group of people came in, a large group of people, kids and adults, and they were carrying these um, big plates with foil over them, they, were, they had these inflatable balloons, um, there was lots of decorations, uh, and it was pretty clear that there was a party happening, Right, so they set up in this playground area a little party in the corner and we sort of watched them and they brought out these platters of food and the food looked amazing. Right? There was these platters of sushi, um, there was these, uh, just so many bowls of lollies, there was cake, you know, classic kids' party food. And I look at my daughter, Natasha, and Natasha's just staring at this party, just like transfixed, and she says to me, Daddy, can we go get some food? <laughs> and I said to her, Tash, we can't just go to another party. We're not invited. Okay? We can't just go to another party and get food. I know that's what you want. But the mum notices us looking. So she comes over to us and she says, would you like to join the party? So Tash, the happiest I've ever seen her. She's there. She's, I don't know how many plates of sushi she ate, lollies, everything. Um, and uh, she, she got, we got to be part of the party. Uh, they... They treated me like part of the family. They brought the whole family to meet me. They were so friendly, so welcoming. They even t- we even took photos with the family. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to find them, but I couldn't find them. I wish I had them to show you. We even took photos with the family. We were treated like part of the family. And what did we do to deserve that? Absolutely nothing. It was purely by the kindness and the grace and the love of this person to accept us in and treat, her, treat us like one of her family. And that's what God does for us. We don't deserve to be part of his family, but because of his great love, his great compassion, we're invited in to share in all the blessings, all the joy, all the privileges that come with being part of his family. And isn't that an amazing blessing? Can you think of anything better than that? absolutely incredible. By the grace of God, His love for us, we're invited in to be His children, to be part of His family. And we have every blessing we could ever need because of that. And how does that come? Well, friends, it comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. Have a look at verse 7 with me. Skip forward to verse 7 with me. Verse 7. In Him, there's that language again, in Jesus we 
have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, His undeserved gift in Jesus. What's this mean? Redemption. We have redemption. That's a Christian word that's thrown around a lot. What does it mean? What means this? Uh, Redemption in the ancient world was the term they used for slaves who were freed. Right? Slaves who were freed. A price is paid for a slave to be bought, to be freed. And friends, that is a privilege that's won for us. Some people think that Christianity is a religion of oppression, um, a religion of rules and restrictions, that when you become a Christian, you might be thinking that here if you're not yet a Christian, that when you become a Christian, that it's just, um, you, can't, you have no freedom anymore. You just got to follow rules. You've got to just do all these things. You can't have any fun anymore. But friends, let me tell you, Christianity is religion based on freedom. Freedom. Because in Christ, we have freedom from that constant grind of trying to be better and never ever being good enough, of trying to do good but never being able to actually do it. In, in Christ, we have freedom from our guilt and shame as we seek to be a better person, as this is something we, we want ourselves, but we just can't quite get there. And we, we, we fail and we, we are guilty. We feel guilty and condemned. In Christ, we have freedom from sin and even the power of death itself. Death can't hold us down anymore. We're going to share eternal life on that final day. This is the freedom that we find in Jesus Christ. Freedom. Friends, isn't that something you want? Well, Jesus Christ offers it to you. If you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, I'd urge you to consider coming to Him. I wouldn't just urge you to consider coming to Him. I'd urge you to come to Him. Because in Jesus, we have freedom like no other. All right, true freedom. And what that will take for you is to just trust in Him. To actually say to God today, I'm sorry, God, for living for myself And I want to live for Jesus Christ. I want to trust in Jesus Christ. We're going to have some reflection time later. That might be a time you want to pray that prayer. And we'd love for you to join our family and to know that freedom that comes in Jesus. Because this, friends, is the blessings that come in Christ. Through the cross comes our incredible blessings. But it's time to expand our views a bit. Because we're at point two. Blessed to be part of something bigger. We've just gotten a little glimpse into the inexhaustible depths of uh, God's blessings for us. right? Just a little glimpse of that. And I hope you've seen that all these blessings, they come in Christ. In Christ. Union with Christ. This being joined with Christ. This, this truth right, is, the, is one of the foundational truths of the Christian faith. We take it for granted. The fact that we receive every blessing in Christ. Christ is the way. Union with Christ is the way that we receive spiritual blessings. Right? Every spiritual blessings. It's the means by which we receive blessings. Because you think about it, how can the death of a man um, over 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world in ancient Palestine, right? Um, how can that apply to us right here in 2019 in a little church in Cooper's Plains, evangelical, right here? Well, it's through union with Christ. It's through the fact that the Holy Spirit joins us with Jesus so that everything He has achieved becomes ours. Everything He has done, He shares with us through this amazing privilege of being joined with Christ, united with Christ, together 
with Christ. We are one with Christ. But let me tell you something. Union with Christ, being together with Christ, is not just the way that we receive blessings. It's also the end goal. The end goal. Have a look at Ephesians 1, verses 9 to 10 with me. Verses 9 to 10. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Did you see that? God has a bigger plan here to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's his big plan. That's something we've got to keep in mind. Friends, the, the problem with talking about a ser- doing a sermon on blessings is that it becomes very me-centric, doesn't it? Right? It's all about what God will give to me. It's all about all the good things that God will do to me. All about these blessings, good for me and my sake. But friends, uh, let me say something. Yes, you are special. Right? If you are a Christian, you are special. You're chosen before time. You, you do receive these incredible privileges of being holy, of being God's children, of being redeemed and free. Right? You receive all these privileges. And yes, you are privileged and loved and special. But even in a weird way, think about this, even in your own salvation, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Because God's plans for the universe center on Him. In the uh, 16th century, there was this man. His name is Nicholas Copernicus. I don't know if you've heard of him. He was an astronomer. And uh, he, he was a bit of a radical, a revolutionary, you might say. Because up until the time where he came out with his theory, which I'll tell you about in a minute, this is what, the, this is what everyone in the world thought. Um, people thought that the Earth was at the center of the universe. The Earth was at the center of the solar system. And everything revolved around the Earth. That's what they thought up until this time in the 16th century. But Nicholas Copernicus came up with this theory which stated, it's not the Earth that's at the centre of the solar system, but it's actually the Sun, right? The Sun's at the centre, not the Earth. And we know this to be true now, but back then this was revolutionary. You can imagine as people came to this knowledge of uh, what was at the centre, that difference, that it completely transformed the way they thought about the universe, Right? Everything that they knew, they thought they knew before was changed, was transformed as they realized this truth. It was a revolution in thinking. And friends, in the same way, this is the sort of revolution that we need in our life. We need a personal revolution in our lives, friends. A revolution that helps us see that it's not us at the center of the universe, but it's Jesus Christ. You heard that term? You're not at the center of the universe? Well, it's true. Because Jesus Christ is. Right? Every plan of God, even your own salvation, is centered on Jesus Christ. Right? It's centered on this plan to bring all things uh, on heaven and earth uh, under the lordship and the reign of Jesus Christ. It's to restore creation to perfection in Jesus Christ. It's to bring people into the kingdom and under the rule of Jesus Christ. Everything is centered on Jesus Christ. God's plan shouldn't be a surprise. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. But the thing is, um, we don't think like that most of the time. And I know I can fall into this trap because we do think it's about us. Which is why 
when things don't go our way, we get angry with God. When life isn't as smooth as we want, we get upset with God. When God doesn't answer our prayers like we want Him to answer them, we get frustrated with God. And we demand of God, God, why are you doing this? Why aren't you giving me what I want? Where's my blessing? Right? What's going on with life? I demand, I deserve more. But that's because we've got our mindsets completely wrong. We're putting ourselves at the center when Jesus Christ is. Friends, we need a revolution in our thinking. Jesus Christ is at the center. We are not. If we see that, then that will change everything about the way we live. Because then we will see and rejoice in the privilege of being part of God's eternal plan for the universe to bring all things under Christ. We get to be a part of that. We will be with Jesus on that final day when all things are brought to completion and fulfillment and perfection in Him. This union with Christ, friends, this is such a privilege. It's the end goal. This is a blessing like no other. And as we think like that, as we think about that, we begin every spiritual blessing culminating in this union with Christ. It results in something in our life, something bigger. It results in praise. Praise. And this is, sorry, that should be number three. This is our third point. Blessed to praise. Because you know what we've been saved for. I hope you've seen this last point. We haven't been saved for our own glory. We haven't been saved for our own sake. We've been saved for Jesus Christ. And have a look at verse, verses 11 to 12 with me of Ephesians 1. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. Right? Our salvation is for the praise of His glory. He's, um, Paul here is talking specifically to Jewish believers first, and he reminds them, you've been chosen... Yes, God loves you. God's chosen you. God's given you all these good things. But what for? For the praise of His glory. And go on to verses 13 to 14 with me. 13 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. To the praise of His glory. And here Paul's talking to the non-Jewish believers, the Gentiles, and he's saying, you were saved, you were chosen. Why? Not for your own sake, for the praise of His glory. Friends, let me remind you, we are not at the center. Jesus Christ is. Even your own salvation. Yes, God loves you, God has chosen you, but your own salvation is to resound in the praise of His glory, not yourself. Is not for your own glory. Our only, um, as we read these verses, and Paul reminds us, you know, our, really what he's trying to remember, what he's trying to do, he's trying to help us praise God. As we reflect on these incredible truths here, what what can be our response, except to praise God for these incredible, incredible spiritual blessings that come in Christ? As we think about what it means for us as a church this year to be one church. Uh, one of the big reasons we exist as a church is to bring glory to God 
is to bring praise to God. Right? We need to keep that at the center. Right? Praise to God. Praise to Jesus. It's not about us. You know, we talked about that last week as we serve others. But even as we serve others, you know what that is? That's glorifying and praising God because that's what He desires for us. We exist to praise. We are blessed to praise. Friends, it's Jesus that's at the center. And what does this look like? Well, here's a big secret about how to praise God. It's to live like a Christian. Live like a Christian. Because this is what we've been saved for. We've been saved for something, right? To live for Jesus Christ. And that plays out, I'll talk about two big ways that plays out. It plays out in our speech. Speech to the praise of His glory. We need to think about how we speak, how we use our words to the praise of God's glory. Now, number one is just giving Him praise. You know, we do that as we see the truths of the gospel and how amazing they are, and we come together and we sing to those amazing truths and we praise God. And we do that as we read the Bible, as we focus, refocus on who God is at home, and we pray to God and we say, God, thank you so much for what you've done for us. All right? And we do that as we watch our words and we don't gossip, we don't swear, we don't use our words to tear others down but instead we use them to build people up. That is speech to the praise of God's glory. But let me tell you a huge way that we do, um, that we praise God. And when you think about the word praise, what does that actually mean? It's declaring that something is good, right? Or someone's good. It's giving approval that something or someone is good. Um, if, if my kids come home, they've done well at school, I'll praise them because they've done something good. If you have a really good meal at Sunnybank, somewhere, you praise that meal. You might even put a review online. Usually you only do it for bad places. But, you know, you'll praise. You'll give approval. You'll say, declare how good something is. And if we're thinking about that as a definition of praise, a declaration of how good someone is, then how we praise God is by speaking the gospel. Because every time you talk about Jesus Christ and what He has done, you are declaring how good He is. So even with each other in our church, um, sometimes we think about speaking the gospel to others and we're just talking about evangelism, reaching out to non-Christians. No, no, evangelize each other. Right? So if you're Christians, speak the gospel to each other. Because every time you do that, you are declaring how good Jesus Christ is. And you're encouraging each other and building each other up in that. And that's to the praise of His glory. As you declare the gospel, as you speak about the gospel, as you speak about Jesus, as you reflect on the words of Scripture, that is a declaration of how good God is to each other. Right? And that builds up the church. That's what we need to be doing. That's the power of the gospel. But let me speak uh, about also telling the gospel to those who aren't yet part of the church. Maybe a non-Christian friend or family member. If you're not yet a believer, it's great you're here to hear this gospel. So vital. Um, But as we take this word out, we want to share this good news of Jesus Christ to people. Um, Sometimes it's really hard. And sometimes we don't do it because we think we can't do it properly. I'm not going to do justice to... This message. I won't be able to answer the questions. Um, if I evangelize, they'll end up further away from Jesus than they were before. I'll, I'm going to stuff it up. But think about this. Regardless of the response of the person you're telling the gospel to, Jesus Christ is glorified. Because every time you come to someone 
Even if they're not a believer, even if they don't respond to you at that point, every time you come and tell the gospel to them, what are you doing? You're declaring how good Jesus is, right? You're praising Jesus in your words, right? Regardless of their response. And obviously, yeah, we want that word to sink in so they know this incredible love that Jesus has for us. But even as you do, uh, you tell people the gospel and you do so imperfectly and you're not eloquent and you might stumble here and there, you are declaring how good Jesus is. And that brings him glory. That brings him praise. So friends, can I encourage you, speak gospel words to each other. Speak gospel words to your friends. And as you do so, you are greatly glorifying Jesus Christ as you declare what he's done for us on the cross. Right? And that will change the way we do our relationships, won't it? The second thing to think about is our actions. Actions are the praise of his glory. Praise, as I said, words are so important to praise, right? But let me tell you something. These verses tell us that we were saved to the praise of his glory. And it's not just being saved so that we may say things, but it's, it's just saved so we live like Christians, friends, that, so we can be distinctive. Our entire lives testify to the praise of of Jesus' glory. We are living sacrifices to Him. Do you realize that? Our entire lives worship Him, glorify Him. So every time, every time you don't give in to a sin, that's to the praise of Christ's glory. Right? Every time you refuse to gossip or bring someone else down, that's to the praise of His glory. Every time you seek to love another person in this church or someone else around you, that's to the praise of His glory. Right? Every time we live in accordance with what God wants for us, that's the praise of His glory. Because you know what that declares? It says we don't belong to this world, but we belong to Jesus. And He's worthy of all our praise and glory. We are saved to be holy, to be set apart, to be distinct. Every time we live in accordance to what the Bible tells us, what God's Word tells us, the world may think we're foolish, may think we're silly, stupid, but to the praise of Jesus' glory, and He is worth it. So friends, I would encourage you to get out there and live for Jesus, for the praise of His glory. Uh, Let me share with you just a quick story as we uh, finish up about um, loving each other. You know, we've been thinking about loving each other lately. Uh, let me tell you, as we love each other, we're going to bring so much praise and glory to Jesus Christ. Um, uh, last uh, a few weeks ago, there was a member of our life group who was, who was quite sick and she was in hospital. Um, and you know what some other members of our group did? They went along to her to visit her, uh, not just to say hello, but because she missed our Bible study, they came and they brought the Bible study along and ran her through it and said, this is what we learned. This is amazing. And th- those little things, friends, bring so much praise to Jesus you wouldn't believe as we seek to encourage each other and love each other. And friends, that's what we're called to because it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. But let me tell you what you can't do. You can't just walk away from this truth if you're believing in Jesus Christ and not do anything to keep yourselves at the center, to keep glorifying yourself. You can't do that. Because, friends, this passage 
testifies to the fact that Jesus Christ, He is the one that deserves all praise and all glory. And you were blessed to praise Him. That's why you were blessed. You haven't been blessed for yourself. You are blessed for Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and thank you that you've given us every spiritual blessing. Help us to live for you. Help us to live for your praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.